It's the TEH Podcast, episode 84. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. How's it going, Gary? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. How about yourself? Not too bad, feeling a little, um, to use a word everybody hates, moist. I learned a, <laughs> um, um, a, a new phrase recently that I hadn't heard of before. Um, it's called a, uh, an atmospheric river. Huh. And what, what it boils down to, what you need to picture is um, a line from roughly, I'll just say uh, Hawaii, that area in the Pacific, pointing at Seattle. Now imagine that line as being um, a series of buckets all carrying water. And then when they hit the ground here, when they actually, they start to tip over and dump all that water onto the Seattle area. Mm. We, uh, we've got a, a record, um, let's see, I think it was a record meeting January and um, the record continues to be exp- to be built upon. It's just been raining. I mean, you know, I've I've lived here most of my life, mm-hmm. and um, um, even I'm saying, okay, that's enough. I mean, I'm used to rain, but but there are limits. Yeah. So it's raining in Seattle. It, that really didn't make the national news. That way. <laughs> but it's making the local news. Trust me, we're dealing yeah. with you know with flooding and landslides and all sorts of vicky things, and of course, uh, really really wet corgis because they're kind of low to the ground and they kind of act as sponges when they're out there. <laughs> yeah, so I can imagine. Tell me, tell me the weather's better down there. Uh, it's cold. Uh, we had we had a beautiful weekend, nice and warm, and now we got some snow and it's very cold today. So, uh, how cold but, is your you know, winter? Uh, I well, this morning when I woke up, it was five, so that's really unusual. Yikes. Um, usually our colds are like you know, 20s, right. that kind of thing for wintry morning. Um, so yeah, but you know, probably highs today were in the in the uh high 20s, maybe right. 30 or something. It's funny because we actually, I especially maybe I'm just maybe it's just the rain talking, but um, I either prefer like that kind of cold, like in the 20s, that's about as cold as it really gets here. When it gets into the teens, it's really exceptional for the Seattle area. Um, but, you know, it's nice and the ground is, is quote unquote dry. It's frozen. Um, the dogs don't track in a lot of mud. I mean, it's just, it works really well. Oh, that's an advantage. Yeah. Well, they, you know, we say here in Colorado, you know, it's a dry cold, <laughs> which, is, which is true. And that's, that is how you will see people, for instance, going to somebody going to work today when it was five. Mm-hmm. Uh, if um, it wouldn't be unusual to see somebody run from their house or apartment out to their car in their shorts. Right. Because right. when it's dry, it takes a minute to feel it. Yes. And you can get to your car, heat your car up, and be going before you feel it. I, when I grew up on the East Coast, that was not possible. <laughs> you, can, you would not do that. <laughs> the minute you left, you stepped out of the door, you'd be cold and you probably wouldn't heat up again the rest of the day if you tried to do that. So, yikes. So, well, anyway, so hey, it's coincidentally um, a really interesting segue. Uh, so, uh, the story I'm bringing today is uh, that I'm getting myself a new machine. And right. um, my, uh, the reason I mention that is because I have uh, photographs, uh, thermal imaging photographs of the machine under load, which is actually kind of cool. I don't even have the machine yet, but that's just part of the process of, of uh, building and shipping this thing. Let me back up. What I did last year, um, Ask Leo readers and listeners will recall that I actually wrote a series of articles on the new machine I got about a year ago. 
which was a, uh, it's a Dell XPS 15 laptop. Uh, I've, honestly, I've been very happy with the laptop. My expectations were perhaps a little bit too high. The experiment that I ran for the last year was to see if I could run with that laptop and only that laptop as my primary machine. And like you, I'm sure, you know, 80, 90% of what I do is just, you know, typing, <laughs> ed- editing, reading, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't take a lot of horsepower to write an article. It doesn't take a lot of horsepower to manage email, that kind of thing. On the other hand, also like you, I'm doing, um, you know, more video work. Uh, I'm doing, uh, I, I end up using virtual machines. I don't know if you're a heavy virtual machine user at, at all or no, not. No, not really. I've got um, so many different versions of Windows that I need to kind of sort of juggle and, and be able to access. So I've got virtual machines for most of them. Um, I even have, you know, a virtual machine with Windows 3.1, which is always entertaining to find. Wow. Yeah. Um, so when you throw in video editing and being able to run uh, virtual machines and the occasional run of, uh, you know, online gaming, um, I'm a World of Warcraft guy, um, the laptop, it was just okay. Uh, it was, I mean, just okay. Um, and getting less okay uh, as things got more entrenched, you know, software got bigger, more things got installed and so forth. So I finally came to the conclusion that, okay, you know, the experiment's over. It's time to do something new. <clears throat> it's time to go back to a, a desktop machine. And what I decided to do was return to a company that I had purchased a desktop from 12 years ago. Uh, They're called Puget Systems. Uh, They're actually, I don't know, about 40 miles south of me. And uh, the reason I gravitated back towards them twofold. One is their custom manufacturers. They just, you know, you, you tell them what bill, what machine, uh, you know, what the characteristics of the machine you want are, and they build it um, on demand. And uh, the other is that my, my previous desktop was a Mac pro. And in fact, um, I have that now in another room. I call it my, uh, my studio. That's where I'm recording this. It's actually, we're, we're talking on a Mac. Um, but the desktop prior to that was also from Puget Systems. It's the 12-year-old machine that I purchased uh, back in the day, and it's still running. It's doing a fantastic job of being a file server and, in fact, running a couple of virtual machines um, in my basement. Um, I've just been impressed enough with its um, quality and longevity that uh, I decided if I'm going to get myself a new desktop, I'm going to invest in something that will hopefully last at least another 10, if not uh, longer years. So um, I believe it just went into uh, shipping today, final preparation, they call it. But there are, uh, it's just, it fascinates the heck out of me. Uh, There are uh, thermal images, they fire up a thermal cam, they put the machine, they let it idle, they take a picture, and then they put it under load and take a picture. And you can actually see exactly where the heat is being generated. Uh, in this case, it looks like it's the video card, which is no surprise because it's got a fairly high-end video card in it. Oh. But um, it's really fascinating. I will, I'll make sure that those pictures make their way to the show notes just because it's kind of fun to look at. Um, I also have a, a link to the configuration of the machine. So my, um, the, the 12-year-old machine, of course, was a... Uh, uh, a quad processor, quad core machine, which at the time was like, ooh, yeah, uh, very exciting. 
Um, it had like a maximum of, I think, I think it came with two gig. It had a maximum of eight gig of RAM. And of course, hard drives are swappable. Um, the Mac Pro that we're using today is the, the, um, the 12 core uh, paint can that I purchased, I don't know, five or six years ago. Right. I had the same one. Well, close to it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And I've, I've, you know, I've, I, I updated the, uh, um, the internal hard drive uh, to be a full terabyte SSD and I maxed out the RAM and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, and it's doing fine. It's actually uh, uh, quite usable. Uh, and in fact, had I not run the experiment with the laptop, I probably would have kept on using the Mac Pro for a while. The new machine um, is going to be running a, an AMD Ryzen 9 16 core, uh, 3.5 gigahertz processor. And um, the, the other spend, if you will, on the machine uh, is an, uh, an EVGA GeForce um, RTX 2080 gaming uh, video card, uh, which uh, is my theory, my hope, um, is that, sure, it'll make World of Warcraft look good. <laughs> but the goal here, of course, is to make um, video editing a little bit more streamless, because that seamless, I should say, because that was getting a little bit pokey on the laptop and, and being a little painful at times. So now I came to this with, uh, you know, I looked at their site and, and they've got some pre predefined configurations you can poke around with. But one of the other reasons I really like working with these guys is um, you can talk to somebody. I mean, they will help you configure your machine. And um, I said, here's what I'm trying to do. You know, it's, it's Camtasia, the recording software. Um, it's some Photoshop, it's uh, VirtualBox, and then occasionally World of Warcraft. And I uh, said, you know what? Here's, here's a configuration. Oh, of course, the first thing they ask, of course, is what's your budget? Mm. Because, of course, whenever you specify a budget, uh, they come in at budget, right? I mean, it's not right. like they're, they, it's, it's an opportunity for them to maximize how much. And, and that's fair. I mean, you know, it's, it makes sense. So they came in $4 over budget and uh, said, you know, let's, let's throw this processor in it. We'll do, do this kind of a video card for you. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. I made two configuration changes to it based on, uh, from after his recommendation, I actually cut down the hard drive that was in it. Um, they put two of these, um, uh, uh, I forget what it is, the oh, M.2 um, SSDs uh, that actually connect to the motherboard as opposed to being a SATA replacement. Hmm. And um, I really only need one of those at a terabyte. I've got an external uh, six terabyte drive that I plan to just move over. Hmm. But um, it's been fun. It's been exciting. And I, like I said, I just looked at the the uh, status of this thing uh, before we started recording. And uh, yeah, they are, um, it's heading for the loading dock. And they're going to take some, some more pictures of it. And I'm going to drive down there uh, maybe, what is today, Wednesday? So I'll probably drive down there tomorrow or Friday and pick that thing up and, and basically you know, disappear from the planet for the weekend while I, uh, I build the thing out. That's another advantage is being able to pick it up because even if you told them you wanted to ship it from 40 miles away, mm -hmm. that's one truck that's picking it up, taking it to a warehouse right? at least, and then some truck taking it from there to you. It could actually be multiple steps in there, even for a short distance. Exactly. That's a lot of handling for... You know. It's a lot of handling and, and, you know, it's a lot of time and it's a little bit of expense. It's not too bad. Um, but it's just one of those things where, like I said, I've done business with them now for like 12, 13 years. 
And uh, I am going to take this as an opportunity. And I checked beforehand uh, if I could take some pictures because I'm gonna, they're going to show me around a little bit and have, have a look at their, at their facility and where they're building these things out. And, uh, take some video, of, yeah. You know, do, yeah. An, do, a, do a video for people. Yeah. Are you familiar yeah. with um, Smarter Every Day? Uh, yes. A little so bit. That, I don't. He's a, he's a video blogger. Um, he does some really interesting um, um, sciency type things. Anyway, uh, one of his uh, videos from I think last year was exactly that. He had Puget Systems build out his new machine specifically for video editing, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he's obviously a much bigger fish than I am. So um, he got the full the full deal where he's in there with I think he had his uh, his cameraman with him, and uh, they took a, a bunch of video. Of, uh, of the process and how things are laid out. Um, I just want a few, a few uh, photographs to, uh, to make my resulting article, because of course I'm writing up articles on this, uh, make them a little bit less, uh, less texty and more visual. So, but that's, um, that's what's happening here. It's, there's a new machine in process and hopefully uh, it'll make life a little bit easier for me when it comes time to, uh, to do the video thing. I will have, not only of course, we'll have a link to uh, Puget Systems, but, um, uh, and those pictures of the, the thermal pictures. I think I have to copy those from my, um, from my actual account page. But um, they have a publicly accessible link to my configuration. In other words, there's no personal identifying information, but there's a link that'll take you to, this is the configuration of my machine. And I'll include that in today's show notes as well, just because I know that people are really interested in that. Yeah. I, I also have to throw out the caveat. You probably don't suffer this quite as much in the Mac world, but on the PC world, you get, you get so much second guessing, right? It's like, why did you get that video card and not this video card? Oh, yeah. Why didn't you put in this disk instead of that disk? How about this processor instead of that processor? And um, so that's, that's one of the downsides of the PC ecosystem, especially if you go public with a configuration. But uh, it's, it's been an interesting process, and I'm happy with the results so far. I'll know more probably, hopefully, about this time next week um, to, to see if the, the machine's running around and running properly. Yeah, you do get some of that in the Mac world. I mean, usually it depends on the year. There's usually something that's close to something else. Like right now, I'd say, uh, you know, a MacBook Air and a low-end MacBook Pro look so much alike. (laughs) I mean, there's like, I think it's a quarter or half a pound difference. uh, And... There's just like, I don't know, they're, they're very similar machines that there's a huge crossover. It, it, you know, there's a lot of people that could just go with either one. You know, really, it's like the weight doesn't matter enough to them for that little bit to make, make it a decision where they're going to get the air. But the extra power doesn't really put them in, you know, that they have to get the MacBook Pro. So you're just in an area where it's like either one of those. (laughs) Go to the Apple store, hold them in your hands, look at them and go with like your, like which one do you think will make you happier? (laughs) Right. Because they're so similar. And once you get up to like, you know, the 16 inch MacBook Pro, then it's very different, right? There's really no no other model like that. So if you want that, it's kind of clear. And same with the desktop models. It really is pretty clear, but, uh, but yeah, there's so there's that second guessing there. Sometimes. Yeah, the, it's funny because the, the second guessing that I that I hear or kind of sort of expect in the PC world um, are the folks who will um, quote me chipset numbers and uh, bus yeah. timings and those kinds of things, which to be honest is stuff that I just don't pay attention to. It on it just bores me to tears, mostly because when the rubber hits the road, 
just doesn't make that much of a difference. Um, you know, yeah, yes, maybe if you're playing the latest high-end game or, or something like that, it, 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 it can make a difference. But um, for the kind of stuff that I'm doing, no, a good solid system that I'm happy with is all that I'm looking for. And the fact that it's this chipset and not that chipset, um, AMD and not Intel, you know, those kinds of things, whatever, as long as it works, I'm a happy guy. Cool. All right. Well, we'll find out next week. Uh, I, I'll have it by then and how it's, how it's going. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yep. So what's on, what's on your mind this week? Well, well, you know, this is one of the rare weeks where the top tech story, well, I, I wouldn't say top. Uh, yeah. The top tech story definitely is the top news story. It's not exactly the top news story because there's so much going on in the news. So much uh, to choose from. But yes. there is there is one of the top tech stories and news stories is what happened in the Iowa caucus on Monday night. Um, uh, how familiar are, are you with what happened? Have you? I did a little bit of just just very light reading on the subject. I mean, yeah. Honestly, the, politics are like are like chipsets as far as I'm concerned. It just bores me to tears. I know people well, just love to get into it. So yeah. I've been, you know, I avoided the caucuses completely. But once it started getting techie, yeah. Okay, then I started like looking at the headlines and diving a little deeper. Right, because it is. I mean, it, the story is, is and as we're going to discuss it, is completely devoid of actual politics, because it is all tech. Um, basically what happened, of course, is, uh, Monday night, the first we as the general public heard that there was anything going on tech wise was that, uh, they were on the news station saying we're going to get results in any second. And then all of a sudden there was, Hey, we haven't got results and we should have them by now. And then they were told there's going to be a delay. Um, and people are like, what's going on? Because it's not usual for that to happen. Usually results trickle in and you get like something like, you know, 3% of the vote has been counted and here's what we're at. It was just at zeros, all zeros. And then, you know, hour after hour. And then the news started to come out that this was tech related and that everybody uh, at the caucus was given this app or the, the people reporting in each room were given an app and the app basically had failed really um basically the way caucuses work you don't have caucuses there in washington state right no we dodged that bullet uh so we we had them here in colorado up until 2016 and then after 2016 we voted to get rid of them and now we're for primaries we're on super tuesday actually mm -hmm. but I'm familiar with caucuses because they were here. I never participated in one because the way they were set up, if you were registered nonpartisan, you couldn't participate. But I had friends that did, and of course, the local media was covering them. And basically, people get together in rooms. It's like the Electoral College, but at a really hyper-local level. You know, they get together in a room of people that represent your neighborhood. I mean, it really is like people that are very close to you. And in this room you kind of vote live, usually but with your body, you know, move to this corner if you vote for this candidate. I was, I was reading that, that in one of the descriptions yeah. that it's, it's like, okay, move to this side of the room if you support so-and-so and move to that. Right. That's, that's. It, and people talk. I, I don't know exactly. I think it might have been different in Colorado and Iowa, but I know people talk, give little speeches and talk about their candidates and all this. So it's very hyper-local. And then, and then each room has to come to kind of a consensus. Now it's not, exactly like the electoral college because you can divide the votes up in Iowa. So you may have a room filled with say a hundred people and uh, 50 people say candidate A and uh, 30 people say candidate B 
And then whoever, you know, the other candidates then below fall below 15%. And if they fall below 15% after the first round of voting, those people are told, okay, you got to choose somebody new. <laughs> Your candidate didn't make the cut. So then they choose somebody new and you do a second round. And I think there are three rounds in Iowa. I may, may be wrong, but they have to come out with people, you know, uh, these candidates and they divide up however many delegates they have in the room for that. So say it was 50-50 in the final count, candidate A and B, and there were four delegates from that room that were going to be assigned. It's two and two, two for right. candidate A, two for B. And then you report that result. And then there's a kind of statewide calculation of like so many thousand delegates for this candidate, so many thousand for this. And they quietly have another little convention that nobody really reports on where they allocate Iowa's uh, you know, votes, the delegates for the thing. So you're in this room and at the end of the night, which is, you know, a few hours long. So it's around eight o'clock, you wrap it up. And if you're the person in there that is in charge, uh, you now have a tally and the tally usually is, uh, or in this case was like the first impressions, what everybody voted the first round. So, so many for a, so many for B, et cetera. Then you had, okay, after we sorted it all out, what it came down to was this many for a, this many for B, and maybe that was it. And then, you know, two delegates for each or three for one and one for the other, whatever it was. So you have a bunch of numbers and then you basically, before this time you phoned it in. So you'd call the office and they'd have all these people standing by on phones and you'd say, I'm from precinct number, whatever. And then you'd say, here are my numbers. And you report those numbers, just a small selection of numbers. And then you were done. So this time they decided to make it better. <laughs> and they quietly hired a, an app developer, uh, although it doesn't sound like they had actually developed any apps previously. They looked like there was some sort of, <laughs> it's a subgroup of a political uh, kind of, uh, you know, I don't know, company that did things for the party. I don't know. Anyway, this group went and uh, decided they're going to develop this app. And this app would uh, allow these people that were heads of these rooms, they're called precinct chairs. There were 1700 of them to use the app on their phone and then report all of this stuff. And it sounded like the basic idea was decent, right? You have to log in and use two-factor authentication. Then you have to report your numbers. And in addition, you take the sheet, the piece of paper where you recorded all of this and you took a picture of it. And that also went along there. And then it all went to a central computer and then central computer then was available to all the people there at the central office and they tabulated the numbers. The only problem is it didn't really work. <laughs> um, it kind of failed in many ways over the course of the evening. Uh, it turns out a lot of people weren't actually even able to install the app. The app was actually not even in the app store or distributed ad hoc to the community. It was put out there as a beta test on both iOS and Android. I read something where even, I mean, normally the way you get an app is, like you said, through, the, uh, through, the, uh, through an app store yeah. or so-called sideloading, right? Yeah, this is- uh, But this is like did. something else completely. It's like, you well, no, to, it, you had it, to kind of become a tester. Yeah, it's legitimate sideloading. So I've done right. this before. The, the app is called on the on the iPhone. It's called Test Flight, and there's a sim, there are a couple of similar apps for Android. The one they were using is called Test Ferry. So I've used Test Flight before for my app games, 
And basically what it allows me to do is I, I still have to submit my app to Apple, but I submit it to a, to a different department, <laughs> kind of. Uh, whereas like this is an app I'm testing. So it doesn't have to meet all the rigorous standards. Like it doesn't have to be complete. There can be parts that aren't working. There, you know, all this. This is only going to go to handpicked testers. So Apple still has to approve it, you know, so they maybe look to see if it's malicious or whatever. And it usually takes about a day for them to approve it. And then it, you tell your beta testers, okay, get this test flight app, and I'm going to send you an email with a link, and then it will automatically go into test flight and sideload, like you said, that app. So a quicker, easier way to get onto your devices. Now, I can see why they were doing this, because they were probably doing rapid development all the way up to days before. And if you it sounds do, like up to days after. Yeah, and if you do it, if you do uh, the App Store, then, you know, on Android, it could work out pretty good. But on iOS, you could, you know, they could have done it and submitted it a week before, and then Apple could say, well, we're still reviewing it, you know, as of right. the time of the caucus. So, so that was like a bad idea right off the bat, right? They should probably have this thing finished a month in advance uh, and probably delivered it using the ad hoc method, which would have been, you know, through some sort of like organization. This is the Democratic Party of Iowa, and we have this ad hoc app, and all these people can get it. But they did it through this test thing, and it's a little more complex. So people, I think, weren't able to figure it out because they aren't all techies there running these precincts. Right. Um, so getting these test apps and then having, you know, giving their IDs over, you know, like in the case of Apple, the uh, Apple ID, and having all that, and then being able to install the app on their device. And some of them probably did not have very up-to-date devices. Maybe, you know, people, they might have be two versions of the OS back or they might be using an iPhone 6 or whatever. Right. Um, so the people, even as of the evening, there were people that just didn't have it installed. So right away, they should have figured, hey, something's gone wrong here. The, then there seemed to be a technical problem where people trying to use it who had it properly installed, it just wasn't connecting. It looked, maybe it was on the server side. I was going to say, did they have know. some kind of a central server that it would all this information was going it, to? There had to be. And but I've not seen any details on that no, at all. No, and I don't think we're going to get any. <laughs> um, the uh, so there, but there was a problem where people said they tried reporting it and they came up with a generic error. Now, the the next thing that happened that made things worse was that everybody was told, "Hey, if you have a problem." No big deal. Just call this number and report manually. The thing is, 1,700 precincts, and normally they would have that staffed so 1,700 people can report in in right. a fairly good time. But they had this app. There was no need to staff up to that much. Just you know, a few people may call because they can't figure it out. Well, when everybody had to call, then <laughs> they just didn't have enough staff to actually uh, deal with it. So, so they ran into that. And there's also some reports of, of some people, the app did work and things went like they would take a photo of the sheet of paper and it had the numbers on it. And then they would type in the numbers and then they would get that. And then somebody checking, which was probably good. It seems like somebody was checking that, mm -hmm. uh, saw that the numbers didn't match, that the numbers they typed in and the numbers that were on the sheet weren't the same. So it was like, all right, we should go and check everything. You know, and again, 1,700, so it's a lot. And then if they didn't match, they probably also thought, well, we should call and right. verify again. I mean, so it really turned into a big problem. Um, and, uh, and yeah, whole fiasco and all of that. So I have a lot to say about this because the problem is 
that the upshot is people are saying, oh, they shouldn't have done this. Tech is bad. Tech should not be used for elections. The tech, you know, tech failed. And my feeling when somebody says tech failed is no, the tech failed. What they did failed, but tech did fail. There was a way to do this right. And it wasn't done right. Matter of fact, it doesn't sound like just about any part of this process was done right. Um, and you know, even somebody like me who has really no expertise in this part of technology, I, I could point out a whole bunch of things that if this fell in my lap, no, I would right. not have done it this way. Right. It, first, it would have been tested. I mean, I would have tested this in high school student council elections before I tested it, you know, in anything real. And I certainly wouldn't have unleashed it for the Iowa State Caucus for the presidential election. You know, it was the first use. You, you do field testing, right? You know, oh, 1,700 precincts. Okay, we need to test it with 1,700 different people on 1,700 different devices, you know, before we bring this live. And I would have had it done, you know, at minimum a month in advance, ready to go, and then provided training because it doesn't seem like there, you know, it seemed like training was part of the problem. Um, so, Another issue, of course, is to realize this was not a voting system. You know, people are saying, ah, see, electronic voting systems are bad. This wasn't a voting system. Nobody was voting with this thing. It was a reporting system. It was just a way to get the numbers back to the central office. They could have done this with any number of existing technologies. Right. Yep. They, could have, they could have just, you know, said, here's the the number here's the uh, number, the email address, or whatever they could have said. Here's the email address. Send us your numbers and a photo. Right, and yep. we'll have people standing by, and they will take it in, and they could do that faster than listening to you talk on the phone. They could have done this with a web-based app, which is, I think, how I would have done it. I would have looked at this and said, "Okay, you need rapid deployment and changes." So forget about app stores. There's nothing in here that needs this to be a mobile app. If you make this a secure website, you could have all the security you want and it could work everywhere. I iOS, could do this in Android, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Windows, Mac, Linux, you know, yep. whatever you want. Just make, the, make it a simple web page that they could go and use to report this stuff securely. And you could make changes really rapidly and easily. And maybe the changes you make, uh, you know, I'm talking about might not even have been technical, but may have been like user interface changes to sure. explain what's going on, give good error messages. It, it would have been so much easier to develop and it would have been, you know, free of a lot of problems that would have come up. Also could have been very low bandwidth. You know, people are talking about, hey, in rural Iowa, maybe they don't have the highest bandwidth. You know, you know if you, you do a web much. app, yeah. You don't need much at all. Just you're just sending a bunch of numbers. Um, so I think they they you know they fall into the same trap a lot of companies uh, fall into is that they go for a mobile app which is expensive to develop and hard to deploy and update when a web app could have worked. And the only real good reason to do a mobile app is marketing because you want to get into the app stores. And Otherwise, a web app is fine. But in this case, there's no marketing. There's no marketing. Yeah. No, yeah. No. It's a reporting it's app. Other, other than, um, you know, wanting to make the process seem um, sexier than it really is. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and somehow showing some kind of technological superiority, which, which failed massively. Right. It did. And, and of course, it's going to have, uh, it's going to have reverberations throughout the community. They're, 
this company didn't seem to know what they're doing. But for all we know, there's another company out there that knows really well like how to make this work. Right. And now they're going to have trouble doing anything with their better software, um, you know, better than what is available now, like people calling in things and all that. But they're going to have people say, oh, look what happened in Iowa. We don't want to have that happen. Right. And there's like no similarity between what a good company is doing or what a bad one's doing. Also, keep in mind that existing things, like people are saying, oh, they should just go with phone calls. Well, you know, there are problems with those too, right? You could have a call center outage, right? You have a you know, 200 people in a room with 200 phones to, ready to receive this information. And there could be problems with that trunk line or whatever, uh, or the training or all sorts of things. There could, there's security issues with that, right? People say, oh, well, there could be security issues with online voting or online reporting. It's sure. like, yeah, there, you know what? How hard would it have been really to, to fish one of the precinct uh, you know, people running it and get their, you know, go, go up to them with a clipboard and say, what, what's the uh, pin number that they gave you uh, at, you know, for reporting your codes? Okay, great. Thanks. And then go in and then five minutes before that guy calls, call and say, yeah, I'm John right. Smith with pin number, whatever. Here's, you know, it's, it's eight delegates for this candidate, you know, very easy to do. And so just because it's old technology doesn't make it more secure. Matter of fact, usually it makes it completely insecure. <laughs> It's just that, you know, uh, it just hasn't happened. So you think it's secure. It's interesting. Um, there, there's a couple, a couple of different observations from this side. One is that I, I don't know if this was something you said or something I read in one of the articles I skimmed, but the real, one of the real bad takeaways from this experience is that the day after the caucuses, everybody's talking about the technology and not about the caucuses right? They're not talking about results. They're not talking about what this whole system is set up to be talking about, right? This mm -hmm. is all about who's going to be our next president. And that's not what we're talking about. We're focusing on, on this massive technology failure. Um, interestingly enough, to the best of my knowledge, no data was lost. And right. what, I, what I find fascinating about that is that, um, A, either they prepared for that or they just didn't think to say, now nah, you don't need the paper. Because apparently that's what people are doing is that they are going back to not necessarily the old system, but they still have the paper. And right. they, stu oh, they yeah. still have that information and they're just reporting it however they manage to report it. Imagine if they had actually you know, set aside the paper completely. Um, the, inf the data itself could have been completely lost and it was not. So in that sense, it's almost a story of, of, um, of success um, in the sense that, hey, <laughs> a backup approach worked, yay. Right, and a lot of uh, electronic voting systems do have that paper backup um, oh, but so many, so many don't. That's yeah. so. So that actually segues into something else I was going to bring up. One of the XKCD comics that's been making the rounds lately, um, because of this, it's it's number twenty thirty on their site, um, is all about voting software and you know how how software can be used for aircraft and how software can be used for elevators. But oh my God, don't use it for voting. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's interesting in that there are so many simple ways to cover your back when you set up a system like this and a paper trail, an audit trail is one of those. And apparently a lot of um, online voting systems don't have such a thing. 
And that to me is perhaps the biggest failure. Right. You can write the crappiest app in the world, which apparently just happened. And it's still okay as long as you've got a paper trail. Right. Well, the pa- I would add that I think the paper trail is the easy way to get a backup solution. There's another way to do it. And that is completely digital, but it's similar to, you know, kind of like a Bitcoin kind of thing where you have a complete encrypted track of everything that's done in the system. So nothing gets truncated, nothing gets compressed. Every vote, basically, every voting record is still there in, in basic its original digital form to, and couldn't be tampered with. It's very difficult to do that, but it's possible. Right. And I'm sure there are some systems out there that do that. What's dangerous is somebody like probably these app developers uh, trying to create a voting system that doesn't include everything done right from the ground up. Because if you don't include that right from the ground up, like if you had this app basically uh, act as kind of a way for you to tabulate everything. So maybe it was an iPad or Android tablet app and you, you know don't need the piece of paper, just use our interface here and you could tabulate the numbers. And if the failure was there, it would have been really bad. Yep. But if you went back and you, you basically went to like electronic voting machines and then the electronic voting machines created each individual record in a kind of blockchain maybe or uh, encrypted format so each record is you know perfectly preserved then it's like the digital equivalent to paper but as i said it's you have to make sure if you're doing that you're doing it right otherwise you have to fall back to the next best thing which is paper right right yeah building that in from the beginning is is critical. And that's true for security in general, right? It's not security and privacy and those kinds of things. They're not things you can bolt onto an existing app. They have to be baked in from the beginning and they have to be baked in really, really well. Really well. And like you should be able, if I were to vote in a like online voting system in the future, like I should be able to go in and check my vote and it it should be actually built in a way that I'm the only one that could do that. Right. I've got the encryption key. I could, if something funny, they say, Oh, there might've been something funny going on. I could go in and check to make sure my actual ballot there, digital ballot is correct. Right. And, but the, on the other end of it, the encryption would make it impossible for them to see what I did as an individual, but they could retabulate everything based on those records. Matter of fact, you could take those records and say, here are the 1 million people that voted in Colorado, uh, give them to somebody, and they still wouldn't be able to figure out who voted for what, but they could actually retabulate the votes from them. Just as like in a not, same thing as if I filled out a ballot and then they ripped my name off the bottom and then put it into a pile, you know, and it just had a number that linked to me, but there had no way for that to know. I knew what my voting number was, Right. But they don't. And it's that's, kind of the same thing. It's kind of like blockchain in general. Now, yes. I, will, I will say that the XKCD comment or comic yeah. that I mentioned earlier, the punchline involves blockchain. So, <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> but um, uh, even with blockchain, you're anonymous until you're not. And when you're not is when you somehow expose your private key. That's kind of like yeah. your number, your your identifier. You keep it private and nobody else needs it. Nobody else can see it. But as soon as you accidentally or otherwise share it with somebody, then all of a sudden you become um, identifiable. Right. And it's the same, you know, if you, well, for voting, number one, you could simply just tell people who you voted for. And a lot of people do. Right. Uh, you could also, in some states, photograph your ballot. That's a whole other issue, whether or not you could take a picture of your ballot and post it online. Um, we've actually talked hmm. about that before. 
Interesting. Uh, you know, it just dawned on me. So Washington went to um, uh, mail-in ballots mm-hmm. only, exclusively, uh, several years ago. Yeah, and, and, as are, well, kind of. We're not exclusive, but yeah. Yeah, we are, yeah we're exclusive. It's the only, it's the only approach these days. Um, and um, I have dutifully voted in every election for which I've been eligible since I became a citizen in 2001. What I, it didn't even dawn on me that maybe before I stuff my ballot in the envelope, I should run it through the scanner. Yeah, just uh, remember your... Keep a copy. Your, your yeah. Well, I, in Colorado, we, we all get our ballots in the mail. Right. So that's how you get them. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we get it it's two or three weeks in advance. So we should be getting ours for this, for this primary election soon. Um, and you vote at home and you can put a stamp on it and mail it. Mm-hmm. You can drop it in one of the hundreds of boxes or right. actually statewide it might be thousands of boxes. Yeah, we have those too. Um, and they're kind of these big secure, they're like tanks, uh, kind of neat. And, uh, you could drop it in there and, um, and then you could also just take it to one of the places and they have early voting. So like, well, it's all early voting, but I think there's some places where you could go two weeks in advance and like hand it to somebody uh, or drop it like in kind of a voting booth kind of situation or do that on election day, on election day, or at least I think maybe it's for a week leading up to it. They have more of those open. So it's really an anti-climax, you know, on election day, really the vast majority of people in Colorado have already cast their vote, which well, is absolutely. funny to see the commercials on television, you know, the spending money, the days up coming up to the election. I'm like, it's Colorado. Most of us have already voted. There's really t- no point. <laughs> I typically vote the day I get my ballot simply so that I can tell everybody, yeah, sorry, already voted. Yeah. You know, there's it, no point in, in trying to lobby me anymore. We're done. Exactly. And it, it really makes me mad when I hear about other states, like where my family, most of my family lives in Pennsylvania, and their only two options are, one, lie and claim they will be absent and get an absentee ballot. And you do right. have to lie. I mean, you're not supposed to get it if you're going to be there on election day. Or you vote on election day. You get in line, and you go to a machine, and you vote. And I'm like, that, it just seems to me, like, in 2020, or even in 2016, it almost seems akin to voter suppression. It's like, why are you discouraging people from voting? It seems like Washington and Colorado are states that are doing it right, encouraging people, hey, cast your vote. Everybody gets one vote. We're going to make it as easy as possible for you to actually do it. It's great to be able to sit at home. And, you know, when you get ballot issues or minor candidates, school board elections, regional transit, you know, uh, board of directors, things like that, to be able to go and look online and say, who are these people? What have they written? You know, what they've written up things saying who they are and what they stand for. I'm going to read them and and make a decision. That's where where I kind of fall short on the citizenship test. I... uh, (laughs) I look at those and say, I have no idea who these people are, so I'm not going to vote. I'd rather have people that care okay. about this vote. Um, but yeah, I've always, I've at least, I've always found at least one thing on every ballot that that I cared about and would vote for. Oh, sure. So, I like, I do like researching the candidates. It, sometimes they make it hard on you mm-hmm. when they just all spout rhetoric and, you know, whatever newspaper interview or whatever they've done. Sometimes they make it easier on you because they'll say, this is what I stand for. Right. And there'll be a candidate. Usually I'm like, oh, I agree with what this candidate stands for. And another one that it's like, oh, no, we, we <laughs> disagree on an issue here. You know, you have a legitimate stance on this. It is not my stance. So right. I will vote for the other person. And um, 
and then you know same thing with a lot of the ballot issues you know i will read the different things people have written about them if i'm unsure yeah i'll definitely do that those and mostly because like around here we've got the port of seattle of port commissioners that are always running for re-election of some sort and Honestly, I suppose it affects me, but not really. But on the other hand, there are things like school levies and and, and infrastructure yeah. things and so forth that, that affect me either directly or indirectly, but they affect me very deeply um, or they affect the community in, in some very serious ways. And those are things that if I don't already have an opinion on them, uh, which is often the case, then I will certainly do some of the, the research. Do they do um, uh, our voters' guides? Yeah. Come with um, basically a statement for and a statement against. Yep. And then a rebuttal for and against. Hmm. I, yeah, I think we have the same thing. We definitely have the for and against, and I'm trying to remember the rebuttals. And I mean, I know there every once in a while there's an issue or two where there's a statement for and no statement against. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like it's yeah. something like, oh, clean, you know, cleaning up the language of the constitutional amendments or right. reorganizing a city department to yeah, have a different structure or something. Right. And there'll be nothing against. Um, and then typically there are ballot measures that start off with the words, should taxes be increased so that, and at that point, you might as well stop reading it because you know that like about 75% of people in Colorado are just going to read those first few words and say no. <laughs> you know, it could be, should taxes be raised so that Gary gets a million dollars? And, you know, most people named Gary would still just vote no because they wouldn't even read past the taxes <laughs> be raised. Um, so, yeah, every time I see a proposition, I'm like, don't start it with that wording. Nobody is going to read past it. They just vote no. doesn't matter what it's for. Um, but anyway, and just to wrap up the topic, uh, you may think, uh, oh, so is this, does this company have contracts with any other states? And in fact, they do. Uh, they are supposed to be doing this in Nevada. And Nevada already quickly came out and said, uh-huh. nope, uh, we're, we're going to go to paper and phone calls. Yep. Um, we won't be doing it. Now, I don't feel at all bad for this development team or whatever no, it is. No, not at all. But I do feel bad for... You know, there's got to be a, one or more companies out there doing it right. We're now going to have a big uphill battle. Yep. And if, you know, but it's, to a, be, it's a shame. To be fair, yes, it's an uphill battle, but it's an uphill battle that's probably worth fighting. My, my, my claim would be that anybody that's doing this same kind of solution will now do a better job. That's just true. To, just to avoid the possibility, to reduce the possibility of of there being anything even close to these kind of problems in the future. And at least the people they're dealing with may know, may know a little bit more about it to ask the right questions. Yep. You know, to say, do you guys know what you're doing? Do you are you testing? Are you field testing? I mean, you know, I, I some of these editorials and people speaking out against this and saying, oh, this shouldn't happen. I'd rather see people saying, look, this is what should have happened. Right. You should be, if you are in charge of something like this and you're talking to a company, you should ask them about field testing, about security vetting, about you know these things. Get the answers to these things. Make sure they know what they're doing and, uh, and go forward with that knowledge. And, and if you're not someone that can understand the answers to those things, mm. find someone who can. Yep, exactly. um, because we're, we're definitely going into a realm where things get pretty geeky, pretty technology pretty technological, pretty quick. Um, and those answers are important, but if you don't understand the answers, they can just feed you a line um, and have you walk away thinking that they're doing something that they're not. Yep. So 
So cool. Well, cool. So that was our foray into politics. Woohoo. Yeah. Well, and without actually bringing any politics I, into it. I don't think we mentioned any parties or any candidates, although exactly. we, know what, we know what party good, is involved good, here. But good for us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. So possibly off topic, but cool. Um, I, so as you know, I think most most uh, readers and listeners may know this. I volunteer for an animal rescue organization that literally goes out and rescues animals, as in a horse has fallen and it can't get up. We go out and we've got the equipment to pick it up. A dog falls over a cliff. We've got you know the people that are willing to jump off the cliff to go after it. Uh, one of the side effects of that, of course, is that we're often out there in inclement weather, like, say, rain or cold. I happen to suffer from something called Raynaud syndrome. Um, it is a scenario where your fingertips, uh, basically the blood flow, the, the capillaries kind of sort of seize up and the blood flow goes away to the, to the fingertips and your fingers are just ice cold, ice cold. So I ended up asking the folks in my group who are also, uh, there's a lot of overlap with the local search and rescue organization. Um, hey, you know, I've got these little pocket hand warmers. They're not very good. What are you guys using? And someone turned me on to um, a Celestron Elements Thermocharge 2-in-1 device is the way it's listed out on Amazon. And, of course, there's a link. Uh, and, well, one, I said Celestron. Wait a minute. They make telescopes. But, no, apparently they also make this device. And the 2-in-1 is really interesting. It is a combination portable USB battery and hand warmer which I thought was just kind of interesting and unique. I like having uh, portable batteries around because especially my phone is getting old and, and it's kind of, um, I, I need to charge it multiple times during the day. Uh, it's, and I'm waiting for it to break further and replace it and so forth. But until then, having batteries around is a really good thing. So I'm carrying batteries with me anyway. To have one that can double as a hand warmer um, I just thought was really cute, really useful. And yeah, I've got a couple of these things and I carry them around with me all the time. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of great. And the nice thing is they recharge for your USB as well. So I've got lots and lots of ways of getting the thing recharged. That's cool. I'm not surprised Celestron does that because, of course, astronomers deal with cold all the time because they put their observatories at the tops of mountains. You know, I hadn't even uh, thought of that. I, I went to the uh, big observatory in New Zealand when I was there a few years ago, uh -huh. and it was summer. I was camping, swimming, doing all the summery activities you can imagine, and I signed up for the uh, observatory tour, which took place at 2 a.m. or something <laughs> like that. And I arrived at the, you know, at midnight at the little location where the bus left. And one of the things, they gave you a flashlight that only had red light, you know, so wouldn't oh, hurt right. your eyes. And they had a rack of parkas. And they asked you, would you like a coat uh, to wear up there? And I actually said, no. Oh, no. I had like a fleece thing on. I was like, yeah, it's a little chilly, but I'm yeah, good. I'm from Denver. I know and, what I'm doing. And yeah. I sat there. And, and fortunately, <laughs> I was early. So I sat there on the bus for about 10 minutes while the other people were accepting the parkas. And I actually went back out and said, you know what? I'm going to change my mind on that. <laughs> and boy, was I thankful because standing there looking through a telescope at the top of the mountain, even though you know it's so warm down below, freezing cold. And that's not even as high as like, say, the, the uh, uh, ones in Hawaii, mm -hmm. you know, at 14,000 feet, you know, so you have people down below uh, trying to sleep in the hot heat and humidity and you are freezing <laughs> at the top <laughs> of the mountain there. So 
So it makes sense. Um, yep. Yep. So I wanted to, I, you know, just as miscellaneous stuff, I, we've got the Academy Awards uh, this weekend. Um, so uh, did you, do you happen to have any predictions of who you think will? Uh, I, so so I, I had to go and do a little bit of research. I actually have a link to um, the, this year's yeah. nominations yeah. out on IMDb. Yeah. And I was scrolling through uh, the, uh, the nominations and realized that of all of the movies in all of the categories, I had seen exactly one. Hmm. And it wow. was, where is it here? It's way, way down one, there. Which one would you have seen? Oh, it's, it's not at all what you think. Although, although you'll probably um, uh, recognize it when I tell you I'm looking for it. I want to get the, I want to get the title right. Um, there it is. Kit Bull. Really? Best, so you didn't see any of the best picture nominees? Best or? animated short film, Kit wow. Bull. It's something that actually made the round on uh, um, social media and so forth uh, earlier, I think late last yeah. year. I thought it was pretty cool. Literally, of all of the movies and actors and actresses and so forth. Now, to be fair, there's a lot of things that I want to see. Um, you know, like for best motion picture, I want to see Joker. I want to see Jojo Rabbit. Um, I think my wife wants to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I think we're interested in The Irishman. So, you know, those things are are on the horizon for us. But no, haven't haven't seen Squat. Wow. Well, yeah. then you your predictions aren't worth very much. Then. <laughs> no, they're not. I think I, I'm going to go ahead and just go out on a limb and, and predict Kitbull. Well, for that, yeah. <laughs> Because you saw, um, yeah. So I mean, just look at. So I saw seven out of the nine best picture nominees. Um, of course, oh, wow. two of them are easy. Two of them are on Netflix. Two of them are Netflix productions. Um, of course, you know, there's a technology tie-in here because you have, uh, I think, 25 nominations for Netflix uh, here, and the, you know, it, it seemed to me odd because I remember how Hollywood, or you know, at least something like the Academy. Um, would be like very anti-new stuff, like anti-new film company, anti-new technology. and But they seem to be very welcoming of Netflix. Of course, when you realize that at this point, Netflix has paid money to pretty much everybody in the Academy for some project or another. There's that, and Netflix, and has, been, Netflix has been doing this for a few years too. It took them a sure. while to, to, to make the inroad into, into the yeah. boards. So, you know, I, I did not see Ford versus Ferrari or Little Women. Uh, but I saw the rest of the the films. So, what's your uh, prediction? Well, uh, I, probably 1917. Really? Um, it, the uh, some of the movies are good, like two in particular, uh, Marriage Story and Joker, are very good films, but uh, not exactly like fun. <laughs> I mean, you don't you know, go and get excited. You know, I'm not going to be excited about watching those a second time or anything like that. You know, they're, they're kind of ordeals you put yourself through. Um, wow. And, you know, but they're very good. And I think Joker has a really good shot at uh, actor in a leading role because, you know, you're just, you're distilling it down to the acting performance performance. Right? right. You know, and when you distill it down to just acting performance, you say, well, that's, that's a winner there. But when you're saying best picture, you're saying best, right? Best. What was the best film? And there were a couple. I I thought Jojo Rabbit was excellent, and would be worthy of the award. Um, 
I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood also was excellent and worthy of the award. 1917 was just, uh, I think, the best one of them all. Um, one thing I can say for sure, it should win Best Cinematography. I'm, you know, I, I pay attention to cinematography. I'm not an expert, but I pay attention. And I would say not only was 1917 the Best Cinematography of the year, but if you had an award for Best Cinematography ever, you might give it to 1917. Is that the one that's basically shown as a single shot? It is. It's not a single shot. I understand. They use, but they, they use they, tricks, but right. it is shown as one to the point where you look, you watch it and you realize they just ran through like a quarter mile or maybe even a mile of trench with people and actors and everything. That means they built that trench, right. you know, they didn't shoot and then oh, change it and shoot from this angle and change it again. They built like, and sure enough, I did watch something afterwards because I was curious. I was like, did they build all those trenches? Because it sure looked like they were running through trenches and sure enough, they did. They built all those trenches. They, they just have these shots that go on for so long and you never see, of course, the cameras and all that. I was even watching a, 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 a little YouTube video on it. At one point they, uh, had the cameraman had to dress because the cameras were handed off from cameraman to cameraman onto a crane, onto a, a moving thing like a motorcycle. You know, mm -hmm. to get the same shot, the camera had to change who was holding it and how they were holding it. So at one point, the camera actually had to be handed off to somebody that would have had to be on the, on the uh, screen a moment before. So okay. they dressed the camera people. Right. As, as soldiers, experts, basically, so yeah. they could run past the person they were filming, grab the camera, and go from extras one second to cameramen the next second right. in order for the camera shot to work. I mean, they had to hand it off. Anyway, it was amazing. So cinematography, it should win hands down. And also cinematography and acting and all the other stuff, good enough, I think, to carry the best pictures. That's my, my uh, prediction there for who will win uh, so, best picture. The um, the one of the reasons that I don't um, end up watching a lot of these movies is that a lot of them aren't movies that um, well I go to movies for a different reason I go to escape mm -hmm. I I'm big into the comic book genre I you know do all the Marvel movies I do the Star Wars and the Star Treks and so forth although I haven't seen the most recent Star Wars uh, the uh, interesting thing about that though is that none of those movies generally make the awards series season, right? right? I mean, they're not, they're, they're fun, they're entertaining, but they're not cinematic masterpieces in a lot of ways. However, um, this actually is a very odd tie back to New Zealand of all things. When uh, my wife and I were in New Zealand, uh, almost exactly 10 years ago right now, we took a trip to the, um, to one of, the scene, one of the places where they had shot several of the scenes for Lord of the Rings. It was a tour, um, and our driver was an Oscar winner. Mm. And he, his name, I remember his name, Hammond Peak. He was um, an audio production guy, and he had worked on the audio for, um, I think it was Lord of the Rings uh, Return of the King. Uh, in other words, the big finale of the, of the original trilogy. And they had won their Oscar for what they had done. Um, and yet, here he was, 
um, you know, his, his quote unquote day job or, or the, the job that actually makes money as he was, was putting it at the time was driving random tourists around, uh, the, you know, backwater New Zealand and, and showing them where, where various places in the, uh, in the movie had been shot. So based on that alone, which is actually no criteria whatsoever, um, best achievement in music written for motion pictures, original score, I predict Star Wars just because John Williams. Ah, yes. <laughs> Just because it's a, it's a movie that I, would, you know, I intend to watch very soon. Um, and I absolutely love John Williams. And I think it's great that he was able to be there for all nine movies. Yep, it's true. So. He's the Beethoven of our time. Um, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Cool. So, uh, time for our blatant self-promotion segment. Um, the article I'm going to point you at this week is, what security software do you recommend? It's uh, an article that's been on Ask Leo for, well, forever. Um, it's a question I'm sure that you get, Gary, as well these days. Um, you know, what, what antivirus, what anti-spyware, what should I be doing? How do I keep myself safe and so on? Um, with the advent of Windows 10, the solution has become really, really simple. Um, Microsoft has done a really good job with Windows Defender, which is baked into Windows 10 from the beginning. But there are alternatives. There are some things to consider. So askleo.com and just search for what security software do you recommend. I will, of course, put that link in the show notes. Gary, how about you? Yeah, I'll just, uh, you know, as usual, I've got my five videos of the week. But uh, the one I'll mention is um, one I'm calling the 10 Mac shortcuts that I use every day because I regularly talk about shortcuts. And I it occurred to me when I did this video or came up with this idea that I talk about shortcuts I think other people will find useful. And I don't always find them useful. You know, sometimes I scratch my head as to why you would use a shortcut for that or why do you need to do that so often you need a shortcut for it. So I uh, finally, after all these years, thought of, you know, I should do a video on the shortcuts I actually use when I do my work and just focus on that. Um, so... So what's the most obscure shortcut in the list? Oh, boy. Uh, you put me on the spot here. I can't, I can't remember. Oh, I think, you know, I do one that, you know, there's that you could do uh, text replacements on um, Mac. So you could say, you know, these characters replace that with something else. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, my actual email address that I use all the time, when I picked it way back in 1996, I really underestimated the number of times in my life I'd have to enter my email address. Um, and uh, I mean, 96, you know, you don't really think that, you know, oh, it's just an email address. It's not right. important. Oh, you're going to use it. It's almost like more important than your name. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's a little too long. It's, it's a little too long. So I have three characters that I could just type on my Mac and I type those three characters and it replaces it with my email address. So you don't have to install like a third party uh, keyboard no, macro type? No, that's that? built into macOS. It has been for, for pretty much forever almost. Interesting. Why, why do I have Keyboard Maestro then? I don't know. You could do more advanced things with stuff like text expander and keyboard maestro, you know, macros and things like right. that. I don't particularly use them. I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't stretch it by any, any by any uh, clue. I, you know, use what you just described. I have um, not because my email address is so long, but it is. Um, it's my name and my name is long. So yeah, typing that can be. <laughs> pain well, yes, awesome. yes, exactly. Um, so I, um, you know, I've got the same thing. I've got a three-character keystroke that gets replaced with my email address, um, among other things. About as as exciting as that one gets is that I've got um, macros that will take again a different 
three character keystroke sequence and replace it with the contents of a file which makes it very easy yep. to update longer things like signatures or common responses or those kinds of yes, things. Yes, exactly. A lot of people don't realize, you know, they get that you could replace like a short word with a longer word, but right. they don't realize you could replace a, take a few characters and replace that with paragraphs and paragraphs of text right. that could be a response to an email that you regularly get during the day or, uh, you know, something like that. Yep. Yep. Very good. Okay. All right. Well, I think that brings us pretty much to the end. Mm-hmm. Show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh84. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast. Thanks as always for listening, and we will see you again here next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.